0: I'm going to welcome Andrew to come and stand next to me. Oh, also, I wanted to apologise. My name's Rebecca, for those of you who don't know me. I just kind of came up for the second half. Chris is leading the kids today. So um, we kind of tag-teamed. My name's Rebecca. This is Andrew. We're married, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so. <laughs> Good, just checking. Um, we in a series at the moment, starting a series called We Are A Church That, We Are A Church Who, dot, dot, dot. So last week, Alice kicked us off with We Are A Church Who Pray, and Andrew's going to be continuing with we are, a Chur- we are A Church Looking For What God Is Doing. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over.
1: Thanks, love. <laughs> I like being married too, and uh, it's nice to be introduced as a person who's going to ruin the peace that was just in the room. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. We are a church looking for what God is doing. So I want to start by looking at a parable that Jesus taught. That's one of my favorites called the wheat and the weeds. And uh, it's in Matthew 13. If you want to turn to it in, in the Bible's on the table, but I'll, all, all the scriptures I'll be referencing will be on the screen as well. So I'm going to read it to us uh, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. Shall I let you turn to it, shall I? That's a bit unfair of me, isn't it? Sorry. I can hear the pages. Yes. Yeah, I'll move back a bit. Sorry, Kate. Bit close. <laughs> bit close. So yeah, cutting them off. Yeah. It's Actually, it's very helpful. If you've got any other tips on how to be a better public... No, seriously, if you've got any other tips about how to be a, a better public speaker and presenter, please do feedback. Um, if you want to do it right at the beginning of a talk as well, I, I find that's particularly helpful. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't mind at all. I actually love it. All right, well, um, thanks to that interlude, you'll have found Matthew 13 in your Bibles. Uh, good stuff. Here we go. Verse 24. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds? They asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So it's a two-point two, two point talk. Number one, God is positive. Number two, God is a grower. Now, this parable, Jesus goes on to explain it slightly later in Matthew, and, and his uh, sort of explanation is it's all about the very end of time when Jesus returns and how God is going to separate good from evil. But with So do look at that if you want to look at how Jesus interpreted it. But what I also feel is hidden in this parable are quite important principles how God operates. And when we look at how do we how do we look and search for what God is doing? How do we keep our eyesight fixed on the activity of God, not on the discouragement, the things that are coming against us? And I think this parable is very helpful. The farmers' uh, workers realise that in this farmer's good field, hidden in amongst the wheat is a weed. And what this uh, translation doesn't tell us is the weed that is planted is a weed that actually looked like wheat, called darnel. So not only is there a weed in amongst it, it's weed that actually looks quite like the wheat, hard to distinguish. And they realize there's this weed in there, so they go to the farmer and go, what's happened? Didn't you plant good seed? Didn't you want good things to grow? Why is there weed in amongst this field? God, if you're good, how on earth is there bad in amongst the good? Why is there suffering in amongst your creation? And so they go to him as, as, as perhaps you would expect and say, you know, what, what do you want us to do? Shall we pull up the weeds? Shall we get rid of them? A very logical thing if you're a gardener, which I'm not. You probably, you probably would do that if you saw weeds growing in your garden, choking out the life of what you planted, you'd pull them up. But the farmer does something different. What? He says no. Because if you do, you'll uproot the wheat. So the priority of the farmer isn't to have a weedless field. The priority of the farmer is to have a field full of wheat. Because if you uprooted the weeds too early, out of season, what you'll achieve is you'll destroy everything the farmer planted. It's an interesting concept, interesting principle. But what it shows us is that God, in his activity, is focused on what he is growing, not what the enemy is trying to destroy. Okay? What it shows us is that God is focused on what he is growing, not what the enemy is trying to destroy. Now, God is supremely confident. This microphone is going to help me stay back here because the signal is getting weaker and weaker. So I'll be next door by the end. Um, the farmer is supremely confident that what the enemy does isn't going to destroy what he's doing in and of itself just because it's there. The threat of the weeds isn't the weeds. The threat of the weeds is the panic they give the workers. Okay. The threat of the weeds is that they will cause the workers to panic and uproot them. Because if they uproot them, they'll damage the wheat. So the main thing I want us to be, think about here is that God orientates his, his voice, his guidance, his wisdom around what he is doing, not what the enemy is doing. So, you're looking dubious, so I thought I'd prove it with some other examples from scripture. And then no one can disagree with me. Which, no, uh, well, as Kate has demonstrated, you're more than welcome <laughs> to advise. Um, any other comments on how I'm doing public speaking wise at this stage? Also, Hey, thank you, Kelvin. Bless you, bro. You can sit there more often. Um, right. So here are some examples of this principle. All right, so Adam and Eve, okay? Um, God, when he interacts with them, when he says, don't eat the, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, why is he doing it? Is it because he's scared of what will happen if they do? Not primarily. He does it primarily because he wants to preserve their created freedom. He wants to, he wants to preserve how he designed them to be. His command was not to hinder them, but to protect them. It was based around what he was doing, not around the worry of what the enemy was trying to do. Moving on, Gideon, who, who has this massive insignificance complex, and God comes and he challenges him. Now, does he challenge him because he's furious that Gideon doesn't believe in himself? No, he challenges him because he, he knows that Gideon has a destiny that he wants to release him into. The challenge isn't because he's annoyed at the sin. The challenge is because he wants Gideon to step into what he could be, okay We'll carry on Elijah fascinating example of Elijah. This one is when um, things get so tough for Elijah that that um his complete his entire perspective gets warped so he he's just seen fire fall from heaven to consume a sacrifice, and um, it's this amazing um, you know just an amazing moment uh, i've never never had that happen. never sacrificed anything either actually. So to be fair, I've not had the environment where it could have happened. <laughs> so, just a thought. Uh, and after this amazing moment, he, uh, he gets word that the queen, Queen Jezebel, wants to kill him. And his reaction is totally disproportionate. You know, you know sometimes there are those voices in our, in our life who they say something and, and it creates, you know, it's just got way too much weight. Their voice means way too much to us. Okay, and he basically just goes, "I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Nothing's happening." You know, God, are you even real? As he hears the cackling bull behind him, crackling bull. Sorry, not cackling. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, rewriting scripture—it's a hobby. So, uh, a crackling bull behind. You know, right on the back of this miracle, he just—he just thinks God isn't doing anything. You know, it's—it's it's, it's painfully familiar, isn't it? It's painfully familiar. So he then goes into hiding. He's like, you know, there's no one else around. Fact is, there are a lot of other sort of people of God still around, a lot of other prophets around. So he's he's just lost his view of reality. Goes into hiding. He's done. He's done. So God comes and God feeds him for 40 days. And God says, prepare for the journey. Sleep, rest, because you're going on a journey. The journey is a long journey. But does God interact with Elijah because he's annoyed at his loss of perspective? Not primarily. God interacts with Elijah because he wants him to see a new side of God. Elijah's used to the big dramatic God. So God says, I'm going to take you to a mountain. And it's not the fire, it's not the wind, it's not the earthquake, but the still small voice of God. God takes the opportunity of a, a broken mindset. And he doesn't want to punish Elijah for the, for the shortcoming. He wants to use it to push Elijah deeper into himself. God is inherently positive in how he interacts with us. Peter, a a lovely example of someone who got it wrong nearly as many times as the rest of us, you know, just gets it wrong left, right and center. And the the scripture I'm thinking of is when um, Peter, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And they say, some people say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, you know, avoiding answering the question. And then Jesus says, "Now, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter steps forward and he says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Sort of the first time it's been openly declared, you're him. Next minute, Jesus says, you know, well done, you got that right, Um, I'm going to die, which is completely against what they thought the Messiah was going to be. They were expecting a a warrior king and they get this man who comes and says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, takes him to one side and says, I'm, I, I'm not going to let you die. You can't die. And Peter says, Get, uh, Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. It's like this stinging rebuke. And yet, is Peter put on the side? Is he left behind the other disciples? Is he cast out for making the mistake? No, he's brought even closer. The very next chapter after this story, Peter is one of three disciples that like Jesus takes up a mountain to see. Um, Moses and Elijah having a conversation with God, with Jesus, and the glory of God falls on top of the mountain. I, I don't think if Jesus was annoyed with Peter, he would have given him that experience. You know, Jesus uses Peter's eagerness, even though he makes a mistake, he uses it to drive him further into his destiny, further into his purposes. Now, John the Baptist, the final one of, this, of my list, um, he he. His role was to try and prepare the way for Jesus to come, and his mantra was, "Repent, for the kingdom is kingdom of heaven is at hand." Now, repentance is something. It's, it's the lifeblood of this church. Repentance. And Alice mentioned last week. She said, "Is isn't it isn't it good when God convicts us of sin?" And I was thinking, "Wow, that's a that's a interesting way of looking at it." You know. Because when we're convicted of sin, we often think that God is telling us off. But we have to ask, why does God convict? Why does God ask us to repent? Is it because he's annoyed that we're doing something wrong? Is it because we're not fulfilling the standard? Not at all. It's because God knows that if we repent, we will access the more. That if we let go, if we repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Every time God convicts us of sin, it's because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not that his primary focus is what he wants you to let go of. It's what he wants you to take hold of. But you can't take hold until you've let go. And so even repentance becomes this tool of God's to demonstrate his positivity. That his activity is all about what he is growing, not what he isn't. Okay, so as we try and look at, look for what God is doing in our midst as a community, as a whole, but also as individuals, let us not focus on what we think God is trying to tell us to stop doing, but let us focus on what God is actually trying to grow, what God is actually starting, what God is depositing in you, because that is his focus. Everything he does orientates what, around what he is growing, not what he is destroying. He has to destroy to grow sometimes, yes, but the focus is what he is growing. Okay? Does that make sense? Number two, God is a grower. um, Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. I think that God often, uh, more often, grows something over implanting something. So, what I mean by that is that God didn't buy a crop of wheat and implant it into the field. He bought the seed and planted the seed and watched it grow. I think God, God, as a rule of thumb, is a God of process over a God of moment. Especially when it comes to character, especially when it comes to our journey with him. I think he'd rather grow a change within us rather than just deliver a change within us. And there's a challenge with that. Because um, I want him to implant (laughs) Because the process takes time, doesn't it? And if he implanted, there would be less time where the weeds could grow in amongst the wheat. But the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, models this perfectly, that God is a grower. 30 years when he lived on earth, growing as a child through the stages, learning his trade, 30 years without doing doing anything other than the example of the temple when he was 12. Nothing really recorded that is remarkable. 30 years of growing, patience, time. God could have just put him on the earth. Age 30. Bam, you're ready. Off he goes. Miracle worker. Done. One moment. And he didn't. You know, at, at the risk of, I don't know what, you know, he... he He's a good farmer who planted a seed in Mary that grew and developed. So why do we have this belief that that, that um, things have to happen in moments, when often what we're looking for, the thing that we long for God to do, is already growing? We just haven't seen it yet. Elijah I think back to the story of elijah there's this moment where he says to his servants he says go and go and look on the horizon and, and tell he's like, it's going to rain you need to go and tell me if there are any clouds coming the servant comes back there are no clouds go again no clouds go again there's a cloud the size of a man's fist on the horizon elijah's response i'm going to go tell everyone it's about to rain one cloud the size of your fist i mean that's confidence isn't it that's confidence But he saw the very early sprouts of growth. He saw the very early signs of what God had promised coming to fruition. So he acts as though the the fulfillment is already here, even though it's only in its earliest stages of growth. And that is what it means to be someone who is orientating themselves around what God is doing, looking for his signs of activity. This is from Luke 7. And John the Baptist, who was the one to herald the way of Jesus, has been put in prison because he was telling uh, a king that he was living naughtily, And um, John the Baptist, I think, is quite discouraged in prison. And two of his disciples come to him. Uh, and he, well, so John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord Jesus to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the dead hear, the dead are raised. sorry, the deaf hear the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. I think it's this amazing moment where, where um, John, John sees the crop clearly, finally. He sort of, he had the inklings when he baptized Jesus, and maybe he lost a bit of his confidence. I, I don't know. When he was in prison, maybe he was thinking, doubting a bit. And he asked this question, are you, are you the guy, Jesus. This 31, 32-year-old man, that's who he's asking about. Are you the guy that we've been waiting for? So his, 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 John's two disciples go and, they, and they're just looking and watching and hearing Jesus as he cures people, as he cures them of their deafness, cures them of their blindness, raises them from death. And the answer is, yes, he's the one we've been waiting for. But he's not the one that appeared out of nowhere. He's the one that grew amongst us. We see this principle unfold then through acts as well. You know, when God sent his Holy Spirit, he could have just sent it equally, up the entirety of the world, in one moment. He could have just done that. But he didn't. Jesus could have appeared simultaneously to every single person alive at the time. It could have happened. It didn't. God could have created the the entire world in one second, every part of it. He didn't. He took days or thousands of years, depending on your inclination. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, (laughs) He chooses, for whatever reason, to do things over process. But if we wait for the crop, we'll miss the reward of seeing something early and praying it into its fulfillment. If we don't realize that God is growing something in our midst, growing them you know, right in the middle of pain and challenge and trial, then I think we'll, we'll miss some of the joy of being able to say, actually, God, I see you at work. And I think maturity is about some of that. It's about in the middle of a field that's got weed and wheat, being able to see the wheat and focus on that over everything else. Trusting that God is passionate about weeds, Trusting that God wants to get rid of it, completely take it out. But focusing on what he focuses on. Weed. Now, a little while ago, um, just before uh, 2020 began, Paul Golf gave a word to the church, and uh, I want to play it to us. Sorry, Paul, if you find it hard listening to your own voice. But um, I think you sound great on this recording, so I wouldn't worry. And there's some backing music for you as well, so you're really set up well (laughs) for this. And the word, uh, I mean, the word is, is about a sunrise, and I'll Share just a couple of more thoughts when we've listened to it. It's about three and a half minutes long.
2: I saw uh, when we started praying, I saw a picture of um, a sunrise, and uh, it kind of reminded me of that song about the house of the rising sun, which I think is. Had a perhaps less than a less than salubrious um establishment but uh it was kind of that that sort of a feeling of the um uh, of, of the the, the exoticness of something that God was doing something new something exciting and that and I saw this kind of sunrise and I I was pondering on that really how do you how do you apply a picture like that or how do you apply a um a sense of something like that being about a, a season of a sunrise. So what, what does that actually mean and how do you respond to it? And um, the, the thought that came to me really is that I think God's wanting to communicate to us this morning a sense of expectancy. He's wanting us to, to raise our expectancy for what is... Uh, and, and, um, and to alter our poise for what is coming and what is going to happen. And it's not all going to happen very quickly. Like sunrises don't happen... Immediately, they happen progressively, but that is what's happening. There is a, a progressive shift into a, a kind of a into a, a new a new day, a new dawning, a new season, um, and that's not just for us as a church. I think that's something that God is doing um, in the whole nation, really, certainly in the in the city. So the the question I was just musing on, as as people were prophesying and as, as we were just waiting here for a few moments, was given given that that's the case, what kind of questions ought we to be asking Holy Spirit? Like often we we don't we don't always get the answers that we need because we don't always know what questions we should be asking if you sort of me, like you can, you can ask a question and get an answer, but if it's the wrong question, you might get the, the right answer to the question but you not, might not get the right answer to meet the need, if that makes sense and so I, I feel like there's an invitation in the run-up to, you know, the during this autumn term, in the run-up to the end of this year, uh, and then as we, we get ready to look on into 2020 and in the, in the new year, to be asking Holy Spirit to actually give us the questions to ask Him. Holy Spirit, what, what should we be asking you about? What particular areas or particular places would you like us to be asking about? And allowing Him to kind of in, inform that so that we... We come into the full counsel of God. So uh,
1: I I just thought it was fascinating to summarize its process. And this is what I want to leave us with um, is this scripture. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I think it's a really poignant question. Do you not perceive it? God can do a new thing that you don't even see. But God wants you to see it. But it may start as a sunrise. It may start very, very small on the horizon. It may start as a smallest shoot of green growth. But the question I think in response to one of, you know, there'll be many other questions that God might want us to ask. But one question I think God wants us to ask is, God, would you help us to see what you are doing? Will you help us to see what you are growing? Because God is doing a new thing corporally and individually. The question isn't is he doing a new thing? The question is, do you perceive it? Should we stand together and, and I'd like to pray for a while? Yeah, let's pray together. Father, we we long to see what you're doing. We long to we long to be able to have the discernment to to pick up the the things that you're growing within us. We believe that you are a good farmer who plants good seed. We believe that you, um, that you wrestle with the challenge of, of weeds as much as we do, but that you focus on your plans and your priorities. Father, I pray that when when you convict us, when you come knocking on the door saying you need to let go of something, that we would know that it's not because you're angry at our error, but because you're passionate about our future. That you're committed to what, what you want to give us, where you want to take us. And you know that if we stay where we are, holding on to the things we're holding on to, we cannot move forward into what you've got for us. Would you help us to know that you're positive in the way you interact with us? And I pray for anyone who's been under the belief that God is growing nothing, that God is doing nothing, And we speak over ourselves and we speak over you. See, God is doing a new thing. It springs up. And we declare that you will be able to see it. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. To take a seat?
0: cool i am um, we've got about five minutes before picking up kids i thought it might just be nice to sometimes it's helpful after hearing a talk where there are lots of different elements in that i found and uh, god might be saying different things to each of us to spend some time reflecting together with the people around you and uh, sharing if anything stood out you can pray if you want to in that time as well but i thought it might just be helpful to Dig into a little bit together. So we've got about five minutes to do that, and then I'll suggest that parents go and get children.